You should have two handouts, or you should have the one you've had for several weeks, Lesson 7, and then you should also have Lesson 8. We'll most likely get to Lesson 8 this morning. Lesson 7, of course, is kind of summarizing and putting all the end-time events together, and then Lesson 8 is going to be dealing with what do we do uh, in, 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 you know, what about rewards? What about uh, our service? And what are we going to do for, for eternity and all of those kind of things? So we'll see that. Let me start with prayer. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, as we're seeing the end time events. And I'm going to put the, the, the chart of the, the end times up in just a second. We'll kind of quickly go through that again and then sort of find out where we are. Let's start with a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you for our church. Thank you for this body of believers that we meet together on Sunday mornings to worship you, to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that Jesus came to the earth, that he died on the cross, that he paid for sin, that he rose again, and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, that it's not our works or our goodness or our righteousness, but faith alone in Christ alone. Thank you for the Bible. And, Lord, especially as we've taken the time to look at the end-time events and see how the Bible fits together and go into all these different places and, and understanding these things. And Lord, we pray that we'll be comforted by understanding it. We'll pray that we'll be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. So teach us this morning as we look at the, the Word of God, as we look at the information about the end times. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We should be toward the very end, almost, of, Revel, of, of Lesson 7. And so we, we, uh, let me just remind you, if you'll put that chart up. We've been seeing the end-time events, and we put the whole thing together, and we said that in the Old Testament there was prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus Christ, this is called first coming to the earth, this is called second coming to the earth. First coming to the earth, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, became a human being, was born in Bethlehem at about age 30, started his ministry for about three, three and a half years. He had the ministry. He ended up dying on the cross, paying for sin and rising again, paying for sin and conquering death, giving us eternal life by faith. He ascended back into heaven, and then 10 days after his ascension, there was the beginning of what we're calling the church age. We've been seeing that in the book of Acts, a lot of great things. We know that the next event, and it could happen at any second, is Jesus Christ going to come in the clouds. Now, this is a first coming to the earth. This is a second coming to the earth. This coming is not to the earth. It's in the clouds, and Jesus Christ comes, and the church, we're taken off the face of the earth. And, and then after that, there will be a time called the tribulation, which is a seven-year time period. One of the things we're going to look at in the next lesson, and I feel like we'll finish this lesson today and get into the next lesson, what happens to us when we are raptured out and we're in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ what happens to us while all of this is happening on the earth? We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. While the church is gone, there's this time period on the earth called the tribulation. A man of sin rises to power, makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel. He makes the peace pact for seven years. Halfway through the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist, that's who we call him, the man of sin, declares that he is God, puts his idol up in the temple in Jerusalem. There's all kind of, this bit, The first part's been called the tribulation. The second part of this is called the great tribulation. And there's all oh, just terrible, terrible things. Here comes Jesus at the end of the seven-year time period. Jesus Christ comes back to the earth as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we're going to be coming with him, and he comes to set up a kingdom. We saw that the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire. We saw that Satan was... 
put into a big hold called an abyss for a thousand years. And then we went into what's called the kingdom. It's the kingdom that was promised to King David in Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. It's the promise that the, that the greater son of David would sit on the throne of Israel. Jesus Christ sits on the throne of Jerusalem, uh, Israel in Jerusalem. He reigns for a thousand years. We reign with him. Old Testament saints reign with him. Tribulation saints reign with him. Tribulation saints who didn't die reigned with him. So it's for a thousand years. There's a kingdom. At the end of the thousand years, and this is what we ended with basically last time, at the end of the thousand years, that Satan is released from his, his abyss, and there's a final rebellion. Sometimes it's called the second battle of Gog and Magog. And at that final battle, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And then there is what we call the great white, what the, well, what we call the Bible calls it the great white throne judgment in which every human being who's ever lived, and we're looking at it this way, every human being who's ever lived who has not trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior will be raised to stand at what's called the great white throne judgment. That's the end of Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15. And books are open, the book of life is open, and books of works were opened. And if their name was not found written in the book of life, and the only way you get your name in the book of life is by believing in Jesus Christ as Savior. So at the, at the, judgment, at the great white throne judgment, Unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire, which is eternal separation from Jesus Christ forever. It is called the second death. After that, we go into what's called the eternal state. That's Revelation chapter 21 and 22. This is where we are now. We touched on this last week. I'm going to go through it fairly quickly and make sure we understand it. But in the eternal state, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And all people who are believers for all time will be with Jesus Christ forever. Now, you might say, what in the world will we do forever? We're going to see at the end of the passage that we will serve him forever. And we're also going to see that the basis for our serving. Why will we, you know, how, what are the positions of service that we have to serve our Savior for eternity? How is that all figured out and those kind of things? So this is where we are. If you look at Revelation chapter 21, notice... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there's no longer any sea. This is John seeing these future things. God has taken him up and is showing him all the future things, and he sees the new heaven and the new earth. Now, the, he says the old, the first earth, heaven and first earth are passed away. Now, we said it was strange because we're going to spend a thousand years on this earth with Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. At the end of that thousand years and at the end of the great white throne judgment, all those kind of things, he's going to... Basically, according to Peter, he's going to burn this whole world up. I raised the question last week, just sort of a fun question because we don't have an answer. Where are we going to be when he burns it up? I mean, are we, is he going to just kind of take us off and say, just kind of be over here for a while. I'm going to burn this up and I'm going to make a new heavens and a new earth. Or, we just don't know. But he, he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. John sees it. He said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, as we go through this, if you've got a question or a comment, just stop me, okay? I just want to make sure you see this. This is the eternal state. There's a new heavens and a new earth. And we're going to live on a new earth. And then there's this city. It's called the New Jerusalem. He sees it coming down out of heaven, made by, you know, from God, made ready as a bride adorned from her husband. And, and look, what, look what he says. He says, I heard this voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. It's going to be an amazing thing because God himself will dwell with all people for all time from that point on. It's called eternal life. 
an eternal relationship with God forever, an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ forever. So that's what we're going to see. Then he says, he will wipe away every tear from the eyes, there will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain, first things have passed away. So when we go into this eternal state, and what most people, let me just say this, people always say things like, would you like to go to heaven when you die? The bottom line is, it's not really heaven, heaven, because heaven, the heavenly places is a different place. This is new heavens and a new earth and a new city called New Jerusalem. That's where we'll be for all eternity. So if you want to be real specific, you might say, would you like to go to the new Jerusalem when you die? Or would you like to go to the new heavens and new earth when you die? But it's so simple that all through our lives we've said, uh, would you like to go to heaven when you die and all these kind of things. So it's okay. This is the eternal state. Now, notice uh, verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. We brought that out last week. He's making all things new. He said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Okay, so this is the new heavens and new earth. Eternity will be on the earth. He's going to make all things new. Now, notice verse 6 and 7. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life. How? Without cost. It's free. People are always confused. Let me just say this. Religion and Christianity are what we say true biblical, what we call Christianity, true biblical truths. That and religion are two different things. Religion is people, mankind, trying to do something to get to God. Religion is always works. It's whether you pray so many certain times or do this or try to live good life or try to do things or try to keep certain things. That's religion and that's man trying to do something to get to God. It's always based on his works. What we call true Christianity is, is faith alone. It's just faith in the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not works at all. Notice he says you take the water of life without cost. You can go to every religion in the world, and you can find that there is something that a person has to do to somehow gain some kind of relationship, okay? When you come to true Christianity, and if it's understand correctly, it is faith in Christ plus nothing, and you're saved forever. It is not what we do to be saved. It is what Jesus Christ has already done for us. He's offering to us the gift of eternal life. So don't get it confused. Even at the very end, he says that I want them to, one who thirsts, come from the spring of the water of life without cost. It's it's amazing. Then let's see the city. We talked about it last time. Uh, salvation always by faith. Look at the city. Uh, verse, uh, verse 10 says, He carried me away to the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven by, you know, from God. And He begins to describe it, and He talks about the walls and, and the gates, and there's three gates on the east. It, it's like a square. It, what the building is, it's a big square. It's the same size all the way around. We'll talk more about it. There's three gates on one side, three gates on another, three gates on another, three gates on another. It's this giant walled city. And there are 12 foundation stones, and on the 12 foundation stones are the names of the 12 apostles. Okay? Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Okay? It says that in this holy city, there are 12, there's, there's 12 gates, but there's 12 foundation stones. And on each one of those stones is a name of one of the apostles. That sound right? What apostles are there? How many apostles are there? You know, in the scripture, there's a number of people called apostles. In fact, if you count them all, there's about 18 apostles, people who are called apostles. But it says the 12 apostles, right? Of the 12 apostles. What 12 apostles? 
I mean, there were 12 that Jesus chose, but one of those 12 was who? Judas, and, and he, well, that ain't him. And we already saw in the book of Acts that he chose another guy, and his name was what? Anybody remember? Matthi- no, Matthias. Matthias. Now, then there's another apostle that comes later on, which everybody's famous, and who is he? He's Paul. So is Paul one of the twelve? Is Matthias one of the twelve? Is Apollos one of the twelve? Who are the twelve apostles that have the names on, on the thing? Now, we probably know those. We know eleven of them because they've been listed over and over in the Scripture. But who's the twelfth? Nobody knows. We all say, we hope it's Paul because he's so good and he did everything, right? But we don't know, okay? Now, watch this as he describes the city. The one who spoke with me had a... This is verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width, and he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal. This city that's called the New Jerusalem in the Scripture is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. Can you picture that? I, I can't picture that. That's a, that's a pretty good-sized city. Do you think it could hold every person? Uh, it could, yeah. I mean, it's just huge city, 1,500 miles. And so this is the new Jerusalem. Now, let me show you something else. It talks about the stones and, and all these different things. But notice verse 21. This is where people have always heard, and they always say, if you go to heaven, you go through the pearly gates. They say, this is heaven. You go to heaven, you go through the pearly gates, and the streets are made out of gold. Well, this is not heaven. This is what? This is the new Jerusalem. Look what it says, verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. Now, that's how he describes it. That each of the gates going into the city is a giant pearl. So when people have always said pearly gates, there, there are gates of pearl. You know, let me, let me just say this. He could be, I'm, I'm not saying this, because I take the Bible literally, so when it says 12 gates and 12 pearls, and I'm thinking it's 12 pearls and 12, you know, it could be that we can't comprehend what this city looks like, and so he's describing it to us in things we might picture in our minds. I'm just saying that. I still think when we get there, it'll be a big pearl. Okay, big pearly gate. Because that's what it says. But if I get there and it's not, and he says, oh, you couldn't have understood it. That's why I said a pearl. I said, oh, okay, I got you. You know, whatever he says, you know, whatever he says is going to be right anyway, right? But anyway, it, it says, each gate is a giant pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold, like transparent glass. It's like gold, but you can, you can see through it. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just beyond us. And then look what it says. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God... The Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine, for the glory of God is illuminated, and the lamp is the Lamb. See, there's not the sun. There's not going to be the sun coming. Why do we need the sun and the moon now? What do we use it for? Well, light, but what else? Huh? Well, yeah, but there's more. It comes up and goes down, and that's a what? That's a measure of time, right? Didn't the sun measure time for us? And we say 365 days in a year, and here's a day, and it's 24 hours because the sun comes up and goes over here. Why will there be no sun? There's no time. It's an eternity. It's, it, there's not a time that you won't be going, gosh, I hope we start on time. 
There's no time, right? It, 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 it won't be like, gee, I, I, this is taking too long because time won't be an issue. Okay? He's the light of the world. Now, what will we do? And this is the key. I want you to go to chapter 22. Look at verse 3. There will no longer be any curse. When did the curse come? Who, who, who put the curse on the earth? God put the curse on the earth. God cursed the ground, cursed the earth. That's, that's why he makes a new heaven and a new earth, because the other one is cursed. There is no longer any curse. And the, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will do what? Serve him. I've had people say, and we talked about this last time, what are we going to do forever, for all time? And I've had some people say, I just don't think I just want to kind of hang around for all time. I mean, just, and I said, no, 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 you're not going to be hanging around. You're not going to be over there going, what are y'all going to do today? Nah, nothing to do. I mean, just sit around, I guess. I don't know. It's not going to be like that at all. It's going to be a new heavens and a new what? Earth. There's going to be earth and there's going to be a giant city. And there's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords and the, and the, the, the God and the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus Christ. And it says, and his bondservants will serve him. That's what we're going to do. We're going to serve him forever. Now, in the next lesson, we're going to talk about the basis for serving. Who gets to serve him? And when and where and how? Notice I like the last part of where we're going to stop here. I said, what will we do? We will serve him, reign with him, be with him for all eternity. Look at this one says, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take what? Take the water of life without cost. When you see it, you have to understand that the water of life. I mean, what did Jesus offer the woman at the well? The water of life, right? If you drink from this water, you'll never thirst again. See, the water of life is eternal life, and it's always cost us what? Nothing. It's a gift. It's a gift. I know that we have a hard time really grasping grace. There are people who talk about grace. They say, oh, I, I believe in the grace of God. And yet when they start talking about salvation and other things, they add works to it all the time. When you really get down to grace... You understand that you are not saved because what you do, what you've ever done, what you keep doing. You're saved by grace through faith, and you're saved forever. And it's not your works, your goodness, your faithfulness. It's not anything that saves you. You are saved by faith alone and Christ alone forever. He is the Savior, not us. He's done it all, and he offers us a gift. See, in our culture, our minds, if somebody were to give you something and they just came up, hey, I was thinking about you, I'm giving you this. Your first thought is, boy, I need to do something for them because they've done something for me. You know, I need to kind of pay them back. I mean, they gave me something, so I need to give them something. Grace is, I give you something. What do I need to do back? Nothing. Because it's grace. Grace means that you do not deserve it. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. If you deserved it, say, well, you did it. You worked hard. I'll give that to you. No, no, you know, I earned it. Grace is, it's not based on me at all. So you can be the worst human being who's ever lived and believe in Jesus Christ. And you have what? Grace. 
You have eternal life, even if you're the worst person. Who is the worst person? Hmm? No, the devil's not a person. That's a good statement. He is, he's, he's evil. He's probably more evil than we can even imagine. In fact, we could imagine the most evil thing we could imagine, and we're not close yet. Who's the worst person? Huh? Paul. Paul said he's the top man. He said, I'm number one. So if you think you're bad, the best you can be is number two. Number two bad. I've got some people I know that they think they're pretty bad. I said, well, you're still not number one. Just remember that. Paul was number one. So we've come to the end of this. And let's just review something. I think we've got the slide back to put up. Yes. When we think about end times and all the things we've seen over these weeks, it comes down to this. If you take the Bible from what we call a historical, literal, grammatical interpretation, meaning you take it historically, what's the context, how does it fit? Literally, what did the words mean? Grammatically, how do they fit together? When you take the Bible that way, it, then it will fit together because it'll say certain things and you say, that's what it says. And you make those applications, you will find that the Bible talks about a first coming, a rapture, a second coming, a kingdom, a great white throne judgment, an eternal state, a tribulation, a church age. It talks about all of these things. You remember, you remember uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we had put that slide up. It said that that guy had sent that book out talking about saying that the, the, the book of Revelation actually happened in the first 60 years of the church. And he's written this whole book, and it says that the tribulation was 66 A.D. And I got the book in the mail, finally. And I started looking at it. And even though he says that the tribulation happened in the first century, we know if you read the book of Revelation, who's involved in the tribulation? The Antichrist, right? He says the tribulation happened in the first century, but the Antichrist was Mohammed, who's in the seventh century. Does that make sense to you? No. See, none of that fits because he's not taking anything literally. He just says, the anti, he actually says the anti, the, the, that the first century and the persecution by the Romans, he says that's the tribulation. I don't see anything about a 12-king federation, a 10-king federation. I don't see anything about a man of sin. I mean, I don't see any of that that happened in that first century. But the problem is people don't want it to say what it says. So when you take the Bible, historically, literally, and grammatically, you will find that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and came to the earth. He was born in Bethlehem as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He lived a perfect, righteous life, offered himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, offered himself as the Messiah and the Savior to Israel and the world. And there was a rejection there. There were people who believed in him, but as a nation, as a whole, the, the Jewish people rejected him. And he was put on a cross, crucified. The whole plan in the first coming, which we couldn't see it and understand it, we do now, was to be the sacrifice, be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His second coming, he's coming as the lion out of the tribe of Judah. He's the lamb here to die. He's the lion that rules. So he came that first time and died and rose again, walked on the earth for 40 days, ascended into heaven, Holy Spirit came down, and this is where we are. Any second, Jesus could come in the clouds and we're gone. 
And while we're gone and we're going to be up here and this is what the next lesson is about, what's going to happen to us while we're up here, there is that time period on the earth which there's a ten-king federation. A man of sin comes to power. goes to a three-king federation. It goes to one man. He, become, he claims himself to be God. Jewish people turn back to God. The Jewish nation as a whole believes in Jesus Christ as Messiah and Savior. And at the end of the tribulation time period, the nation of Israel calls upon the name of the Lord that is to deliver them because they've already believed in him as Messiah and Savior. And Jesus Christ comes. We come with him. And they come to the earth with, as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And we already talked about beasts and false prophets in the lake of fire. Satan in a, a big old hole. Thousand year reign of Christ. And it is the strangest time ever in the history of the world. And we've talked about it because there'll be people with glorified bodies and people with regular bodies and it'll go for a thousand years and Jesus will rule and then there'll be the final rebellion. There'll be the great white throne judgment which we mentioned last time. There'll be the eternal state which we mentioned this time. That's the end time events. And we've been going over this for weeks but we're not through because we say that's good stuff. There's one thing that's not on this chart. And it's a thing called the judgment seat of Christ. And you say, well, where is it? It's it's not in the church age, and it's not in the tribulation, and it's not in the kingdom, it's not in the eternal state. The best that we can tell, the judgment seat of Christ happens while we're in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ after we've been raptured out. So if you look at lesson eight, okay? Oh, by the way, let me just throw the, the applications, though, from this lesson, okay? So let me show you the applications. First of all, understand the flow of the end-time events. I hope that you'll get it. I know it's, it's hard, and I talk to you after every lesson. I'll say, how you doing? They're saying, it's just kind of a lot to put together. It is. But if you can just get the flow, first coming, death and resurrection, church age, rapture, tribulation, second coming, kingdom, Great weight thrown judgment, eternal state. If you can just get that, you, you've got the big flow. So understand the flow of the end time events, and we'll always keep talking about it. Second is know what, hap- know what happens to unbelievers and believers in the com- in the, at the coming of Christ. When he comes the second time, unbelievers are put to death. And he gets ready to go into the kingdom. Believers go into the kingdom with the Messiah. The third thing is gain an understanding of the eternal state in the new Jerusalem. So when you start thinking of heaven and you say heaven has the pearly gates of the streets of gold, what you really ought to say is that's the new Jerusalem in the eternal state of the new heavens and the new earth that has the big walls and the foundation stones and the pearly gates and the streets of gold and no sun or moon, all of those things. And then the last thing, the fourth thing, is understand what believers will do in the eternal state. What will we do? We'll serve him. We'll serve it. Now, let me ask you a question. What will we do for Jesus Christ in the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth in the kingdom? What will we do? We'll, we'll, we will what? Serve? Did somebody say serve him? You're right. We're going to serve him during the thousand-year reign of Christ, right? That's why he raises us from the dead and gives us responsibilities. We're going to see it in Lesson 8. But what about for eternity? What will we do then? We will also what? Serve him. Now here's the key. How you live today. Now this has nothing to do with your eternal destiny. Your eternal destiny is you're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ as a gift simply by faith in Christ. But your responsibility and service goes back to how you live as a believer. 
has nothing to do with your salvation. has nothing to do with your eternal destiny that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. But it does determine your place of responsibility and rewards and those kind of things. So let's look at it. If you want to get Lesson 8 out and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time, so uh, we'll, we'll see how far we can get in this, okay? So go to 1 Thessalonians 4, and whatever, wherever we stop, we'll take up next week, and we'll just keep right on going until we get through. I actually only have two more lessons. I have Lesson 8 and Lesson 9, and there's a lot in each one. In fact, this lesson that we're looking at now will for sure take at least two weeks, not counting, not even, probably not counting this week, because it's got, there's so much information. Now, let me do this before we get into this. Does anybody have any question about the flow of the end time events? So you got it? You feel really good? Could you come up and do it? I'll pick somebody out to come up and do it. Anybody? No, we don't want to do that. But, okay, so you feel pretty good. All right, let's talk about us. What about us? I mean, here we are living on this earth. Our lives, we say we, say we want to live for Jesus Christ. We're all excited today because we're going to look, we're going to unveil some of these things and throw stuff up there, and we're going to talk about the building that we want to build. And we go, man, it's going to be great to have a building. But you know what? That's not our purpose. Our purpose is not to build a building. We need to build a building, but that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to do what? Make disciples. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. Whether we meet here or someone else, or somewhere else, our purpose never changes. We're to make disciples, which is leading people to Christ. That's evangelism. And then training them, teaching them to serve all which I've commanded you. That's the whole idea of discipleship. That's why we exist. We sometimes think that we exist so that God can bless us. You wake up in the morning and you say things like, why did this happen to me? How come this didn't happen to me? Why isn't this good? Thing? I want all, you know, Lord, please make this happen. Make, do the, we want all the good stuff to happen to us. We, we almost sometimes think that God's there to make sure we're okay. We're actually here as children of God because we've trusted in Christ. We are here to serve the living God. We're bond slaves. We're bond servants is what the Bible calls. Paul calls himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Which in the Greek, the bond servant, the word is doulos. That doulos was a person that was a servant of another person for life. It wasn't like, you know, I'll serve you four, five, six, seven years and then I'll get out of this thing. No, a bond servant was lifetime. Since we will never die, right? Because we have what kind of life? So we will always be servants of who? Jesus Christ, our Savior, exactly. So, why are we here? We're to serve the living God. So, turning your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 4, we've been seeing the overview of end-time events, but one of the key things that we need to understand is that as we think about the kingdom and the eternal state, we will be serving Jesus Christ. For all eternity, we will be serving. So, here's the question. What will be the basis for our service? What is the basis that God says, oh, okay, Bonita, um, I'm, I, I have for you that you will do this during the thousand-year reign, and then I'll have some other things for you when we get to the eternal state. Uh, JB, I have this for you during the thousand-year reign. Somebody else? Somebody else? Why did he give that person that? 
What's going to be the basis of your service for Jesus Christ? Because wouldn't all of us want to go, me, me, pick me, pick me, I'll do something, I'll do something. Right? But are we saying that right now? Me, 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 I'll do something. Most Christians aren't saying, me, me, I'll do something. They're saying, just don't bother me. You've given me eternal life. I just kind of want to go through life and make it to the end and then make it to heaven. Isn't that what a lot of people do? I mean, you talk to the average Christian, they haven't said, I want my life to count for Christ and I'll go anywhere he wants me to go and I'll do anything he wants me to do. I just want him to pick me, 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 lose me. Right? Have you said to God, pick me, use me, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. I want my life to count for you. I give you my life. That's not salvation. That's service. Salvation doesn't cost you anything. You don't say, I'll serve you, God save me. You can't work for salvation, my gracious. So are you saying, pick me, use me, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. I know we're just, well... Listen, we're going to stop. Here's what I want to tell you. Most of you know my story. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 19 years old. Up to that point, I believed you had to do more good than bad and you would go to heaven. That's what I thought. And one night I wandered into a Bible study and I heard the truth that Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believed in him would have eternal life. It wasn't based on your works or goodness. And that night I trusted in Christ as my Savior. But I did not serve Jesus Christ. I, I started to grow and I shared my faith some but I was in college and I was working with sports and the dream of my life was to be a coach and all of those things and it came to a point in my life when I was about 27, 26 I trusted Christ when I was 19 27, 26 I, I came to a realization that as I'd been looking at the Bible as I began thinking about life that I realized that I was disobedient as a Christian because I was living my life and I have eternal life. If you said to me, do you, are you going to heaven? I said, oh, of course, I have eternal life. Jesus Christ saved me. didn't cost me anything. It's a gift. What are you doing for Christ? Well, I'm afraid that if I were to say to God, I want to live for you and go anywhere and do anything, he'll make me become a missionary or a pastor. That's what I was afraid of. <laughs> because I wanted to be a coach. And that's what I was. I was a coach. And I said, but if you say to God something like, take me and use me, he'll just take you and make you like go to another country or something. And I didn't want to do that. So I was afraid. And I also wanted to do what I wanted to do. But I got to a place where I realized that in order to really do what God had for me to do was to say to him, it doesn't matter what you want me to do. I mean, what, it doesn't matter. You want me to be a coach? I'll be a coach. You want me to go somewhere else? I'll go somewhere else. You want me to live somewhere else? I want my life to count for you. I've never been the same since then. Never been the same. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, not only that you have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior and you have eternal life and you're saved and you're saved forever, and you say, I I know I'm saved. I hope you have come to a place in your life where you say to God, I want my life to count for you. I will go anywhere for you. I will do anywhere for you. I'm going to take up my cross and die to myself and live for you. I just want my life to count for you. Pick me. Use me. Because let me tell you what. If he's using you now, 
guess what happens in the kingdom and the eternal state? He's going to come right up here. I got you. Come right up here. I got you right here. I need your help. Need your help. Need your help. What about me? What about me? Just sit back over there for a little bit. You didn't do anything in the past. Why would you do anything now? Right? There's a place in First John that says we could be ashamed at his coming. Because we'd go, I should have done something. Right? So I hope and pray, and this is when we get into Lesson 8, we're going to talk about what we're here for and rewards. And, you know, when we talk about the building, and that's in the, second, in, in the service, we're going to talk about a building and facilities and everything, but our real purpose is not a building. Our purpose is that our lives would count for Christ and that as a local body we touch people in this community and the world. Making disciples. That's the key. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for letting us see the whole end times and how everything fits together and, and all of that. And then, Lord, just to be thinking about our lives now and what, what do you have for us? What do you want us to do? And when, when, we, when we get into the kingdom and the eternal state, we know, Lord, that you're going to have responsibility for us. What's it going to be based on? Lord, we know it will be based on how we served you now. So, Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we just ask you that you'd teach us, you'd encourage us. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.